Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here for another episode of the Prospect Podcast. Going to jump around a little bit with this episode. We're entering NFL Week 3, Panthers-Texans on Thursday night. A lot more appealing than we probably thought even like two weeks ago. The Panthers are 2-0. and They're playing great defense. Sam Darnold doesn't look like an MVP candidate, but he looks a little bit rejuvenated there in Carolina with Joe Brady, a much better play caller and offensive mind than Adam Gase probably. That's a pretty safe bet. Uh, and the defense, it's pretty young. Um, but Matt Rule has kind of constructed over the past couple of years, looks really good through two weeks. And the Texans, with Tyrod Taylor in that game last week, were even with the Browns. They were playing as well as the Cleveland Browns were, moving the football down the field um, a lot more consistently than anyone would have expected. Tyrod Taylor, extremely bad injury luck, gets hurt. Davis Mills comes in, throws a pick on his second pass in the NFL, but actually rebounded pretty nicely, and they only lost by 10 on the road with their third-round rookie quarterback backup entering the game in the third quarter. Um, and then in college football, we had a very fascinating and compelling and jam-packed with action week three last week, or week two last week. Um, and we're starting to kind of see things crystallize with which teams are, might be a little bit overrated, like Clemson, maybe Notre Dame slightly. Um, and then just the teams like Georgia and maybe even Alabama that are, you know, ahead of the rest of the pack. Ohio State um, with their quarterback situation might not be as good um, as they've been in previous years. Having Justin Fields the last two seasons helped quite a bit. Um, but jumping around, I want to start with wide receiver watch. I wrote it at CBSSports.com earlier this week. Drake London from USC. And I wrote, I want to talk about him because I wrote about how he's pulling me back in to liking big wide receivers. And I was like probably a year or two late realizing that the big 6'4", 230-pound receivers uh, were not really in vogue in the NFL because I had seen it for so long in the mid-2000s or mid-2010s, I should say. And I always bring these guys up. Brandon Marshall, Jordy Nelson, Des Bryant, Calvin Johnson. They were, it was a league that the best receivers were those big body types. Winning contested catch situations repeatedly, box out, rebound, whatever phrase you want to use. That's what they were so good at. They scored a lot of touchdowns. They produced. They were high volume players that were scoring points for their teams. Even throwing Demarius, like you can even throw in Demarius Thomas in there as well. But we are now in a separation-based NFL, that the teams that are moving the football through the air most efficiently are those with good quarterbacks and likely at least one or two or maybe three or four receivers who can consistently separate from the cornerback, linebacker, or safety that's covering them, which is why I see Drake London. I see six foot five, and I go, I'm not going to fall into this trap. Nikhil Harry, Hakeem Butler, Laquan Treadwell, these big body rebounders. And I remember watching Drake London over the past couple of seasons at USC, a lot of marquee prospects in that program, of course. Like, hey, this guy is he's big. He plays above the rim, but he's 6'5 and 210. And watching him over the summer for kind of like preview stuff, preview content at CBSSports.com, I was like, man, this guy is like running jerk routes where he is 
creating extra separation on a linebacker or on a slot cornerback. And then he plays like he's 6'5", 240 after the catch. He is a moose in the open field, complete bulldozer that runs over people uh, and just has great contact balance. The season that he's started or how he started this season has certainly caught my eye. And, and it's, I've kind of forgotten about the fact that he is tall and he might not separate, even if he is a good route runner, as well as some of the elite wide receivers in the NFL. But I think at 6'5 and 210, he's sleek enough that he's still quick and he's deceptively fast down the field. Last week against Washington State, 13 catches for 170 yards, two touchdowns. There was a great body adjustment uh, on a back shoulder throw. There were those underneath routes where he it was not just schemed open. He was creating separation. And uh, Drake London, I'm not going to say is the best receiver in this class. I think still at this point, Garrett Wilson uh, is the one that has the juice to be that separator at all three levels and has the springiness to make those catches well outside of his frame. He's got a pretty big catch radius for being like six foot, but Drake London, and then even Traylon Burks at Arkansas, they're kind of bringing back to a certain degree, of course, just two wide receiver prospects. The idea that you can still be a quality and productive receiver in college and maybe in the NFL being above six foot two and over 200 or so pounds. So Drake London, he was the headliner for wide receiver watch. Um, I, I just think that he's different from a lot of what we've seen uh, from a lot of those big receiver prospects over the past couple of years that we had three or four years where a lot of those big guys, JJ Arcega Whiteside's another one who could get off the line very well, but his game was just like strictly going up and over cornerbacks down the field. He was not running intricate routes. He was not separating very frequently. He wasn't asked to do that at Stanford. Drake London can do that. Uh, be very interesting following his whole 2021 season. We don't know if Keaton Slovis is going to be out for a long time or it's going to be Jackson Dart there for the USC Trojans. They got an interesting schedule. They have Notre Dame in South Bend. The Arizona State game at Arizona State will not be easy. And then finishing with UCLA and BYU uh, will be very fascinating. They miss out or don't have to play Oregon this, uh, this season, which should bode well for USC and probably for Drake London to not have to face a bunch of uh, future NFL players. They don't play Washington either. And we know the Huskies program just churns out quality defensive backs. So Drake London, his production is going to be too hard to ignore. I think he's probably bound to be a first-round pick. If he runs decently well, shows good leaping ability, and the agility drills at the Combine or at the USC Pro Day are not too slow, he's probably going to go in the first round. Now to the NFL, just some general thoughts. Um, I'll get to the Thursday night game tonight, but just from last week, already talked about Houston and Cleveland. I'm just going to kind of run through this rapid fire. Chicago and Cincinnati, I actually thought that both offenses were going to open it up a little bit. I thought it was going to be a little more high scoring than 20 to 17 with some late points in that fourth quarter. Andy Dalton got hurt. That didn't help things because Justin Fields was thrust onto the field. Uh, and I thought he played okay. I, I didn't think it was terrible. People were pointing at his, he had a low QBR. He threw the interception. He had a fumble. Uh, but there were some big time throws that Andy Dalton just can't make. Uh, there was a throw deep down the field to Allen Robinson 
into the end zone. Wasn't perfect, but it was it did hit him in the hands and it could have been a really tough catch diving over the goal line. It's like made from like the far hash, like 30, 40 yards in the air, uh, or even further than that if you're kind of drawing it on a straight line across the field. But it was in terms of just air yards from where the ball was, it was like would have been a 40-yard touchdown. Andy Dalton just can't make that throw. And he really was not able to step into that throw. So that's what Justin Fields gives to the Chicago Bears moving forward. I hope we get to see him start uh, this week just with a full week of practice. I know it's not a full training camp and a full preseason, but at least one full week running with the ones in practice, getting that game plan installed for Justin Fields. He certainly can run. He had a big 10-yard run on a, on a third and long late in the game that kind of sealed it for the Bears. He needs to lean on that. Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, uh, a lot, even Russell Wilson, they leaned on their running ability to continue to move the chains, build confidence, stay on the field, do that early on. If you're not seeing everything as rapidly as you need to, that's what Justin Fields needs to really focus on. And for the Bengals, I just don't think Joe Burrow is 100% healthy. I think the offense is very gimmicky right now. It's a lot of quick stuff. I like that Burrow's getting it out of his hands in a hurry, and you have someone that can get open underneath in that slant game in Jamar Chase. T. Higgins has played very consistently for them down the field. Tyler Boyd, of course, is just super reliable out of the slot. But I'd like to see more intermediate throws and downfield throws from Joe Burrow, not just late in the game when it's out of reach, um, but early in the game to get his confidence built back up. I just don't think he feels the most confidence in his legs. He's been sacked nine times. Uh, I kind of said all this yesterday on, on the NFL road show with Lindsey Rhodes. Go check that out. Been sacked nine times um, despite being pressured only 33% of the time. And 33% pressure rate is like league average. Like you're, That's what you have to be content with if you're a – Young quarterback, especially on a team that that doesn't really have a ton of high caliber offensive line prospects on, or uh, players on it, thirty three percent of the time is not bad. So Joe Burrow has to uh, elude pressure a little bit better, and I think that will come in time as his knee gets more healed and he feels a little bit more confident in moving around and, and ad libbing outside of structure. The Colts and the Rams. I put out a TikTok yeah Tuesday on Quentin Nelson versus Aaron Donald. It was a battle. I thought Quentin Nelson started off winning the battle. Aaron Donald came on strong throughout the rest of the game, and then late Nelson got a couple of one-on-one -on -one wins. They helped Quentin Nelson a little bit. Uh, I thought, and I graded it 7-5 to five Aaron Donald. You could probably watch it and see slightly different uh, results, but it was a battle. And I like the fact that the Colts battled back, that it looked like the Rams were going to kind of just run away with this game. Uh, they battled back, but it's Carson Wentz has both ankles are injured. So we're going to probably see Jacob Eason on Sunday. He's not going to be able to move around as much as Carson Wentz, but the arm talent is through the roof. I'm excited about that. And the Rams just, they're, they're a team that is superstar driven. I'm not going to call Matt Stafford a superstar, but he's a high caliber quarterback. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey with the big interception late and kind of an overthrow. Uh, deep down the field from, from Jacob Eason. That's how they win. They run the football decently well, uh, or, or at least show that. They have Cooper Cup and uh, Robert Woods are, are kind of the low-key stars on the team, but they're, especially on defense, really just 
focused, centered around their superstars. I thought Sebastian Joseph Day had a really fine day against uh, the Colts in week two. So watch out for him when everyone's focusing on Aaron Donald. Sebastian Joseph Day is, I think, one of the more underrated, kind of versatile defensive linemen in the NFL. The Bills and the Dolphins, absolute domination. It probably didn't help the Dolphins that Tua got injured early, but it felt like it was bound to happen, even on those first two drives, because he was under pressure early. And, and on those first two possessions, the Bills pass rush had a dominant day that kind of foreshadowed what was going to happen the rest of that game. They were really good early on, and then even when Jacoby Brissett came in, um, he had a couple of nice throws, but he threw the ball 40 times and didn't even have 170 yards passing. So the Bills defense looks, I think, very good through two weeks. Josh Allen, not quite there yet. He's struggling finding whether or not he needs to put air under a downfield pass or fire it in there. There was a couple throws where I thought against the Dolphins kind of made the wrong decision where he needed to put some air under a long ball to say Stephon Diggs or Emmanuel Sanders, and he fired it in there. It sailed over the receiver's head. And then conversely, the opposite happened where there was a deep over route in the second half. Emmanuel Sanders comes open, and instead of firing it in there and having Emmanuel Sanders catch the ball at the Dolphins like five yard line, Josh Allen like faded away and tried to loft it in and over um, Byron Jones head or, or maybe it was Xavier Howard. Uh, actually, no, it, I think it was Byron Jones and he makes a play in the end zone where maybe, yeah, a better throw with another yard of air under it would have been a touchdown, but there was no need to put the air under it to give that athletic cornerback time to, uh, recover and make a play. So that's really what's happening with Josh Allen. But it's funny that, you know, Bill's mafia and uh, the national kind of narrative is that, you know, Josh Allen's struggling and then what happened against the Dolphins, he still did make some high caliber, big time throws that only he and about three other quarterbacks could make in this game. And the Bills won 35 to nothing on the road. Like the first two possessions were like clockwork. Patriots and Jets, about what you would expect from Bill Belichick against a rookie quarterback. Zach Wilson was very careless with the football. And on the other side, Mac Jones has not been careless with the football. That's kind of been his MO through two games that it's use the flats, check it down, don't make a mistake, don't take a sack, do not put the ball in a precarious situation. And that's why the Patriots got this win very easy running away from it. Uh, and they ran the ball well, like Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson, they all got involved. Uh, so that was kind of, I mean, I thought the Jets would play it a little closer than this. I wasn't envisioning four interception from Zach Wilson because he did show the ability to improvise and made some plays late in week one against the Panthers, but I probably should have known better. Like that's the type of stat line that Bill Belichick will normally have when he's facing a first-year quarterback for the first time. San Francisco and Philly, defensive battle. The quarterback play wasn't great. The run games weren't really that great either. And I thought Jalen Hurts, uh, just to kind of focus on him for a second because he's a young player, he's having a similar start to his career to Mac Jones and he's not making a lot of mistakes. I think the Eagles would have liked to see him hit more of those long balls. He had the big gain to Quez Watkins that went for 91 yards and a Jalen Rager touchdown that was nullified because he stepped out of bounds right before, but there was like seven or eight other deep balls that were just a little bit underthrown. They were into double coverage. We'd like to see 
him hit on some of those. But other than that, he's taking what the defense is giving him. He's not turning the football over. He's not taking a bunch of sacks, and he's getting out of the pocket and running. He led the Eagles with 82 yards on the ground on a, and a score on just 10 carries. Las Vegas against Pittsburgh. The Steelers had a very impressive week one win, but in week two, facing a team coached by John Gruden that is pure West Coast offense that's going to get the ball out in a hurry to mitigate your pass rush, this is what could happen. Because I, I think even in that week one win, Ben Roethlisberger did not look good. Like He looked washed most of that game. He made two or three relatively high degree of difficulty throws that Clay or Chase Claypool made a ridiculous catch. Deontay Johnson made an outstanding touchdown in back corner of the end zone in the second half. But there were a couple times where Ben Roethlisberger looked completely immobile and just unsure of what to do and that he had to get it out in like under two seconds or the play was going to be dead. That's kind of what all that came together in week two, that the Raiders got it out quick. They hit the long ball to Henry Ruggs. Uh, that was obviously a huge play in that game, but Derek Carr got out of his hands in a hurry, so he wasn't pressured very often. Almost threw for 400 yards on this defense. I think Pittsburgh's defense is still going to be one of the best in the league, but it's not necessarily because of its secondary. Minka Fitzpatrick is that ultimate playmaker. They give him free reign to do whatever he wants and freelance, almost in that Troy Palomalu role, actually very similar. But the other players, James St. Pierre, Joe Hayden, I think has lost a couple of steps now into his 30s. Uh, they, I just think they're so – like the secondary creating turnovers and being stingy, so to speak, is based on the fact that Alex Highsmith, TJ Watt, Cam Hayward um, – who am I forgetting? Oh, Melvin Ingram, the, the big acquisition that kind of flew under the radar in free agency – they are going to get home frequently. They led the league in pressure creation rate last year, and they're probably going to be near the top of that as well. They're going to get Stefan Tuitt back eventually. We saw that, though, if you can pass protect against the Steelers, you can do work against the secondary. What happened to the Saints? Like Week one to week two looked like a completely different team. I mean, Jameis Winston didn't have a bunch of completions in week one, but he threw five touchdowns. They were just a shell of their week one version of the Saints in week two against a Carolina defense that might actually be coming together. I mean, they famously selected all defensive players in last year's draft, so they're super young. They added some pieces in free agency like Hassan Reddick, who certainly knows Matt Rule from his time at Temple. And if anyone knows how to deploy Hassan Reddick the correct way, it's definitely Matt Rule who took this you know, low star recruit and made him into a first round caliber prospect who can rush the passer. He can play off the ball. He can cover a little bit. They just completely suffocated Jameis Winston, Alvin Kamara, a good offensive line this whole game. And Sam Darnold made enough plays to win this going away. So the Panthers, another surprising 2-0 team. The Broncos, another surprising 2-0 team, completely manhandled the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I'll focus quickly on Trevor Lawrence. If you want to hear more about uh, my thoughts on Trevor Lawrence early, head to that NFL road show with Lindsey Rhodes that I was on yesterday. I went in-depth on Trevor Lawrence. He's just missing layups. Like He's forcing the football, which is not good. I think he's feeling like he needs to press when his team is getting down. 
but he's also missing layups, and that's weird. I, I don't understand why that's happening. He's not really being pressured very often, only 27% of the time. That's under league average. Like The league average will be right around 31% to 33% at the end of the season. 27%, you can deal with that. And he's still making some bad decisions, being a little overaggressive. That's probably because he's pressing, but the layups just can't be missed if you're in the NFL, especially when you have some actual decent group of wide receivers. Minnesota and Arizona, wild game. I'm so glad we got Gus Johnson and Aqib Tlaib on this game. Man, Kyler Murray is kind of a wild roller coaster, not like a, a little kid's roller coaster that has a few fast moments but is mostly just uh, not that scary of a ride. Kyler Murray will take you 100 feet up a hill and then 100 feet back down a hill where you feel like you're going to crash into the ground. Like, Two interceptions were bad. One was uh, a throw to the outside that was taken back for six, right? I, I was kind of bouncing around from those four o'clock games. Bad read, and then he threw an interception deep down the field on a throw that had no business being made. There was multiple Vikings defenders there. And I honestly think not that uh, the Cardinals or the Viking, sorry, the Cardinals defense is amazing, but I thought Kirk Cousins played well in this game. 22 of 32, 244 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Like, that's Kirk Cousins. Like, that's what he's going to do for you. He's not going to always be tremendous on the road, but he's going to run your offense probably to a T. If you can pass protect for him, and they did do a good job against J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones coming off those five sacks in week one against the Titans, you can get a quality performance. Dalvin Cook with over 130 yards rushing. Um, I like, too, that we saw Kyler Murray, just jumping back to the Cardinals for a second, uh, feature Rondale Moore. He made the most of his limited opportunities in week one, had the long 70-plus yard touchdown where he's kind of a busted coverage. But they're featuring Rondale Moore. They used him in the red zone, uh, had that weird play where he was almost, he's knocked out of bounds and kind of fumbled, and Nick Vigil caught the ball unknowingly, but his foot was out of bounds. That was a huge turning point in that game. And it's just a bummer for the Vikings. Kyler Mer or Kirk Cousins, I think the K's are getting me messed up here. Um, Kirk Cousins drives the Vikings down the field in overtime, and they're set up perfectly to win the game right in the middle of the field, and the kicker misses it. So Vikings are, I think it's still a pretty decent team at 0-2. Uh, the Cardinals should be very fortunate, feel very fortunate that they got that win. I watched a lot of the Falcons and the Buccaneers, and I thought it was a very gutsy performance from Matt Ryan and the Falcons, just Tampa Bay's too talented on both sides of the ball. Their defensive line in some spots got after Matt Ryan. Uh, late in the game when it seemed like maybe this could be a, a colossal upset, pass gets batted down right into the hands of Mike Edwards, who had a pick six earlier in the fourth quarter, gets uh, kind of a gift-wrapped interception again. That's just what they can do with 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 Shaq Barrett and Ndamukong Sue and Vita Vea. They drafted an edge rusher in Joe Tryon in the first round. Like they have so much talent and depth up front that it's it's kind of ridiculous. And then of course Tom Brady was going to shred that secondary. Like it was obvious, especially after AJ Terrell went down after making kind of a diving pass breakup that was spectacular. He did one last year too, like that. It was obvious that that Brady and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were going to be able to handle anything that the uh, Falcon secondary threw at them. It was weird that we didn't see a lot from Antonio Brown in this game, though, after kind of being the favorite target for Tom Brady against the Cowboys last Thursday. 
Speaking of the Cowboys, uh, a hard-fought battle, 20-17 to 17 over the Chargers in Los Angeles in a game that didn't really feature many touchdowns late in that game. I thought if you're the Cowboys, you have to be very encouraged, not only that you won this game, but the fact that against Justin Herbert, you got a great interception from your second-year cornerback, Trevon Diggs, who flashed a little bit as a rookie before getting injured, but also got torched. And in general, like Justin Herbert wasn't terrible. He threw for 338 yards, but you didn't let Justin Herbert win this game single-handedly. And we know that, of course, everything kind of snowballed last year with the Cowboys. Dak Prescott gets hurt early. You have a litany of other quarterbacks coming in. Andy Dalton was Andy Dalton. And the defense, though, was so, so bad. It was even if Andy Dalton played in his 2015 form, that team was going to only win a couple of games. So you're seeing better play up front, even with Demarcus Lawrence out. Micah Parsons had some problems against Rashawn Slater, and rightfully so. But against Storm Norton, the backup right tackle, he had seven quarterback pressures. Uh, so you like what you see from the defense if you're Jerry Jones, if you're Stephen Jones, and certainly head coach Mike McCarthy. Didn't catch a, a ton of the Seahawks and Titans game, but I did go back and rewatch late in that game. What a gutsy performance. I mean, Mike Vrabel, I think, is one of the best under and, and most underrated coaches in the NFL. It seemed like there was no way they were coming back in this contest. They were down big on the road in Seattle, and they didn't really worry. They didn't, uh, they didn't, act like they couldn't run the football anymore and that they needed to throw it. They scored uh, 14 points in the fourth quarter. They outscored Seattle 21 to six in the second half, get the field goal in overtime, huge momentum building, confidence building win. Ryan Tannehill, they used him off play action in week one. They barely did it. And I get that they were down uh, big early and, and they couldn't really pass protect against Chandler Jones and uh, JJ Watt. But that is Ryan Tannehill. You need to use him in the play-action game. Derrick Henry, 35 carries, 182 yards, three touchdowns. And Julio Jones, six catches, 128 yards. He really showed up in a game that A.J. Brown was not able to completely dominate. Three catches for 43 yards on nine targets. He had a drop on a really good seam or down the numbers throw from Ryan Tannehill in that second half. But that's why the Titans signed Julio Jones, because I, I still believe that they feel that AJ Brown can basically be a superstar, but in a game where you might need some more receiving prowess from someone other than AJ Brown, you can get six catches for 128 yards and a touchdown that got nullified that absolutely should not have been nullified um, from Julio Jones. For the Seahawks, quickly, Tyler Lockett, most underrated receiver in the NFL. Spectacular. Had a long 63-yarder. Great tracking the football over his head. Eight catches, 178 yards. The Seahawks' defense just needs work. It's it's Bobby Wagner. It's um, Quandre Diggs making some plays. Jamal Adams, That was it's going to go down as one of the worst trades in that franchise's history um, and of recent memory in the entire NFL. They have multiple first-round picks for – someone that has trouble covering at the safety spot. The Seahawks, I still think, will be good. They can still score a lot of points with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Um, but the defense needs work. And I think eventually Pete Carroll will get the ball rolling on, on that side. But it's just the talent level at all three levels of the field. The pass rush isn't great. Linebackers with Bobby Wagner, 
Jordan Brooks, solid. And actually, Bobby Wagner, I think, is still arguably the best linebacker in football. 20 tackles in this game. The secondary, I think, needs work. I mean, they've not really been able to fully recover after the dismantling of the Legion of Boom, which was, you know, bound to happen eventually as these guys got older. The Chiefs and the Ravens. Two more games, and then I'll wrap this up. Kansas City had a really tough start to their season with the Browns and the Ravens back-to-back. And not just because those are good teams, but because they're really good running teams. The Chiefs linebacker group is not good. And I think that's why we've seen them back-to-back years pick a linebacker on day two of the draft. Willie Gay two years ago, Nick Bolton in April. They wanted to improve the linebacker group, and those linebackers haven't really played particularly well earlier in their careers. Willie Gay's been hurt a lot. And the defensive line, minus Chris Jones, is not super formidable, especially against the run. So you face the Browns in week one, the best offensive line of football, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Kevin Stefanski system. And then week two, you get a Ravens team that has Marquise Brown and not much else in the receiving core that even down to their third and fourth string running backs has Lamar Jackson, has a bulldozing offensive line that wants to run the football and run it a lot. And I think that's kind of the blueprint that teams are going to have when they're facing the Chiefs, because it's kind of a a win-win situation. If you run the ball and you can run it well, you can keep Patrick Mahomes off the field and you can score points because this is a a very susceptible defense to the run. The Ravens almost had 500 yards of offense, 251 yards rushing, 6.1 yards per attempt. And they're rolling out Tyson Williams, Latavius Murray, Devontae Freeman had a 31-yard gain. I mean, of course, Lamar Jackson led the team in rushing. Two scores on 16 carries, 107 yards. But Tyson Williams averaged 5.9 yards per carry. Latavius Murray, 4 yards per carry. Devontae Freeman, only two carries for 29 yards, including that 31-yarder, 14.5 yards per carry. And good for the Ravens because they have had so many problems with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs finally get off the schneid there and get the win um, and actually had some plays made by their defense, even in a game where they allowed 35 points, that's going to happen against Patrick Mahomes. Um, they made some plays late that were critical in the win. And I'm so glad that they decided not just for the whole analytics of it and, and the optics being there on Sunday night football to go for that fourth and short and let Lamar Jackson keep the football to seal the game. The last thing you want to do is give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes with their big play ability. They did a great job against Tyree Kill. Three catches for 14 yards. I mean, Travis Kelsey went over 100. Byron Pringle had a touchdown. Uh, Mecole Hardman had 55 yards on five catches. Even Demarcus Robinson had a score, 33-yarder. Um, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. He averaged 11.1 yards per attempt. But the Ravens did enough to kind of play keep away and we've seen a weakness for the Chiefs defense that they're at this point they're a little bit suscept- they're actually very susceptible against the run. They'll, their defense will improve because they're not going to face the Browns and the Ravens again this year in the regular season at least. Um, but and those are two of the best running teams in the NFL. But teams are going to really focus on running when they're facing um, the Chiefs this season because again it, it keeps Patrick Mahomes off the field and. 
you can move the football pretty effectively. Monday Night Football, I thought the Lions looked good in the first half. Jared Goff looked very comfortable. And then everything kind of came back to earth. They regressed to the mean in the second half. Uh, I do think that the Packers defense has a little bit of ways to go. Uh, the secondary is still relatively young um, and they're not communicating very well. There was the touchdown to Quintez Cephas in the red zone in the first quarter. There was like no one covering him for like five seconds. Like, I, I don't know how that happens th that close to the red zone when Jared Goff's not really a running threat. You're not facing a super athletic quarterback. That's a threat to run the ball in compared to other quarterbacks. Uh, I thought there was some miscommunications in the Packers backfield and they got back to what Matt LaFleur wants to do is run that Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay outside zone scheme feature Aaron Jones, and then hit play action over the top. You know, the ultimate last resort basically is you have Aaron Rodgers. If, if you get into a hole a little bit, if, if you fall behind by a touchdown or 10 points, you can air it out, but early in the game, establish the run. And I know that's become uh taboo to say establish the run, but if teams are going to play two high safeties, against the Green Bay Packers with that offensive line, run the ball, like run the ball, use some play action, sprinkle in some RPOs, let Aaron Rodgers make his own decisions based on what he's seeing from the defense. And that's why we saw some big time throws from Aaron Rodgers in the second half, because the, the Lions kind of went away from that. They were getting gashed on the ground, opens up the pass game and Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers. All right. That's all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, wait, wait, one last thing I wanted to get into. I said I would get into week threes uh game panthers and texans i guess i already talked about it at the beginning um i'm really interested to see how davis mills plays with even a short week full week as a as the starter in practice working with the ones i think he had a nice connection early on with brandon cooks who's quietly been very good through two weeks and for the panthers can they continue this surprising hot start against a defense that should be pretty susceptible for Sam Darnold, Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, and kind of an upstart offense there in Carolina. All right, now I'm done. That'll do it for me today. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you so much for listening to the Prospect Podcast.